welcome to Historias, the Spanish History Podcast. I'm your host, Breton Rodriguez, and I'm here with Cecilia Velasquez, speaking about the history and impact of pirates and piracy in the Caribbean during the first couple of centuries of Spain's Atlantic Empire. So first, a little bit of information about our guest. Cecilia earned an MA and a PhD from Columbia University and her BA from the University of Puerto Rico. Currently, she is an assistant professor of Spanish at the University of Nevada, Reno. Cecilia's work focuses on late medieval Iberia and early modern transatlantic relations among Spain, England, Latin America, and the Caribbean. Her research specializes in early modern transatlantic piracy through the analysis of an interdisciplinary corpus of primary sources that include travel narratives, colonial cartography, poetry, legal documents, and historical accounts, amongst other sources, looking at the period from the 1500s to 1670s. So, Cecilia, welcome. Thank you so much, Breton, for having me here. It's, it's a pleasure to have you. So let's go ahead, let's jump into it. I want to start a little bit early. So much of your early work focuses on the figure of Sir Francis Drake. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about who he was and what he did. Also, with regard to this theme of piracy that we're focusing on today, I was wondering if we should consider him to be a pirate and kind of why or why not. So first of all, the English captain Francis Drake was many things but one. He has been considered a pirate, a corsair, a patriot, or even an agent of evil forces in the eyes, in the Spanish eyes. He was a smuggler of African slaves. He was also appointed uh, Lord Mayor of Plymouth and was even knighted by his queen, Elizabeth I, after his circumnavigation of the globe from 1577 to 1580. He starts his maritime career at a very early age with his uncle, John Hawkins, who was a, he, he came from a family of businessmen and they were interested in illegal trade with Iberian and French ports. John Hawkins was aware of the profitable markets of smuggling African slaves into the West Indies, specifically in Hispaniola, the territory that today is the Dominican Republic and Haiti. So in 1566, Hawkins planned a third transatlantic voyage, but the, at that time, the Spanish ambassador in England stopped his plans, but he managed to get away with it and got uh, three ships commanded by Captain John Lovell. And this is an important uh, historical event because it was the first time that, uh, that Francis Drake actually crossed the Atlantic. Mm -hmm. And also, this will be the last time that he will be involved in in smuggling in the, in the slave trade, because from that point on, uh, I mean, from all the voyages from the 1570s to the mid 1590s, his rates will be more raving oriented, that smuggling inspired. Okay, um, why would the English want to stop it in 1566? What's going on between England and Spain during this period? During this period, we have the Elizabethan uh, crown, like we have Elizabeth, we have Elizabeth I, we have uh, Philip II. There, there was not an open war declared uh, between the two nations, but there were rivalries. Well, Philip II had been the husband of the, the Bloody Mary, no? <laughs> uh, as they, uh, she's known, uh, Elizabeth's uh, sister, mm -hmm. uh, half-sister. So th there were tensions between the two nations, and one of the, the things that, they, that, that Spain tr uh, tried to do in order to asphyxiate uh, Elizabeth I uh, was to control commerce between okay. the two nations, and also the religious difference. Uh, we have a very Catholic Spain and a very 
Protestant England. So we're in 1566. So this is the la- the, Drake's first voyage mm-hmm. to the Americas. What happens next? Where, where do we go from here? He, he did many voyages in the 1570, 1571, 1577, 1585, 1595, and we're going to be talking about that a little <laughs> bit uh, further. But regarding the second part of your question, is it Drake a pirate or not? Mm-hmm. That's a very, very um, and I believe that before delving into that, is he a pirate or not? The question is, what does to be a pirate mean? That, right? That's a great question. What, what does right. it mean to exactly. be a pirate? What, like what is a pirate? Semantically and linguistically speaking, what does the term pirate mean? Mm-hmm. And what are the behaviors or what are the rules that actually st- structure this, uh, this concept? So we, we tend to think that during the early modern period, pirates were outlaw figures who circumvented the rules of trade um, and invaded certain entrenched political systems, while corsairs uh, engaged in the same sort of practices as pirates, but they were seen as protectors of, of their specific regimes, and they were authorized by these regimes. The truth is that I believe that these ironclad categories were not defined during the time period that precedes the peace agreement of Westphalia in 1648 Mm. and the formation of nation states. So during the period that precedes this uh, peace agreement and the world, the the modern world as as, as we know it today, I believe the discourse of piracy uh, was timely and flexible, was actually uh, the concept or the notion of piracy I believe it was a, an interrelationship, an entanglement between, among many things, about, among, among many, many uh, discourses, uh, religious discourse, economic discourse, political discourse, and also it was used to advance specific agendas, mm-hmm. uh, be it the king, be it, be it the queen, be it the colonial officer, be it the lawyer, be it the sailor, like everybody uh, used the discourse of piracy in different ways and such an unstable uh, quality actually allowed them to advance their own projects or benefits or interests. So yeah, I think Francis Drake is very interesting because he, he serves as a case study to understand the wide spectrum of, both, of, of the usage of both terms, pirate and corsair. Okay. And, and by Corsair, it, we think of kind of Corsair and privateers basically being the same kind of interchangeable yes. kind of uh, someone who's fighting or someone who's a pirate, but doing it kind of with a letter of marquee, doing exactly. it with kind of the authority of the state or at the state's behest at least. But during the but the the, the word privateer was not around until the 17th century. Okay. So since we are in this uh, 16th century, Corsair was the other word to describe uh, that kind of uh, character that you're saying. Uh, the one authorized, but still, such a distinction was was muddy. <laughs> okay, no, that's great. I, I had no idea. I didn't know that privateer was a later term. That's cool. So I'm I'm really curious with what you said about kind of this idea of rhetoric that's kind of developing around piracy. So why don't we why don't we talk a little bit about that? I mean, you mentioned it here. Also in your previous work, you discussed the rhetoric that develops around piracy during this early modern period in England, Spain, the Caribbean. Um, could you speak a little bit more about this rhetoric of piracy and also the reasons why it maybe developed the way it did? And maybe even kind of go back to Drake a little bit as well and kind of yeah. how this develops around him in particular? 
if you think about Francis Drake, no, and how his image has been understood in, in, in during the 20th century and the 21st century, he's seen as this uh, respectable patriot or even an honorable warrior. Yeah. But the truth is that even do, do, during his time period, uh, when he was alive, he was actually not that popular as we might believe he was. Really? He was not that popular. Noblemen didn't like him. Uh, yeah, he was close to the queen, but it was not like this romanticized version that we have that he and the queen has had this relationship special one and the queen, <laughs> um, you know, a little bit like Queen Isabel of Spain with Christopher Columbus <laughs> that we have all these ideas, uh, uh, this romanticized idea of the of, of the crown, of the, of the monarch and the pirate or the discoverer. Mm -hmm. like, it was not like that. It was a little bit more complicated and actually he was rejected by a great part of, of his society. The queen knighted him, like made him a sir, mm -hmm. just because of his venture. Like he was the first non-Iberian captain to circumnavigate the, the globe and also survive the journey. Yeah. And and didn't survive. So uh, that was an important deed. And even uh, when she knighted him, there was uh, controversy because he didn't own a piece of land. And that was something that That's he needed to have. So, yeah. so he bought a, a Bucky Abbey. That, that was a, the, he had to buy a piece of land in order to get knighted. And then, uh, during his time period in his Guayas, he was he was made Lord Plymouth, Lord, Lord Mayor of Plymouth. But there's no record about how there's no enough records about how much did, did he actually do hmm. as as Lord as Lord Mayor of Plymouth. So this idea that we have of him as, as, as this uh, grandiose uh, figure is actually a, a revival. Huh. It comes from a revival of, of his deeds from the 17th century. And that's, and that's something that Claire Jowitt uh, works about. Uh, she, she works upon the uses of the discourse of piracy during the 17th century, not only with Drake, but with other English uh, I would say uh, sailors, uh, or the, sp the Spanish will say pirates. <laughs> straightforward, but that's the you know that's okay. the plasticity of the concept yeah. itself. And she works on and she works on that. Um, this is an example of how the rhetoric of piracy works. Like you have this figure that it's uh, understood as a as a as a sp specific way, but actually. Uh, it was quite different, historically speaking. For instance, also, this is not exclusive to the... I'm going to go back to Drake, but there, there, there is also scholarship about rhetorical piracy or the dimensions of the rhetorical piracy in the context of Latin America, for hmm. example. We have the work of Armida Martinez Osorio, who focuses on the epic poetry and, and the role of piracy in epic poetry uh, produced in Spanish America to actually support projects of early conquistadors or settlers. Hmm. We also find uh, the work of Barbara Fuchs, for example, mm -hmm. that works on the relationship between uh, uh, Anglo-Spanish uh, narrative, uh, imperial narratives of power, or what she calls the poetics of piracy. So mm -hmm. there's a lot, there's a, there's not a lot of scholarship around this, but it's a growing field to understand the rhetorical aspects or the rhetorical dimensions of, of piracy and this maritime predators, how, how we mm -hmm. understand them and how how their their image have changed throughout time according to specific projects. 
And then is most of this coming from the 17th century? So, I mean, I'm really struck with this idea that kind of Drake during his lifetime, everyone's just like, eh, who cares? And then the 17th century is like, oh, this guy's amazing. He did this because he did incredible things. He mm-hmm. circumnavigated mm-hmm. the globe. He sacked a number of Spanish cities. Mm-hmm. He sacked Cadiz. Like, I mean, it's just, he's doing mm-hmm. this incredible stuff, a really notable stuff. But this idea that people wouldn't really be talking about till the 17th century is really striking. I mean, maybe if you could talk a little bit more about that. About um, or just kind of looking at the time period of when these narratives are, are kind of really taking off. Okay, well, in relation to Drake's narratives in the 17th century, it's uh, very specific to the English project. Queen uh, Queen Elizabeth and King Philip II, who were the, the great rivals, they die, no? and Drake dies. It, it happens to all of us. Yeah. Just <laughs> So Drake died in 19, in 1596, and afterwards, uh, Philip II dies, and then uh, Queen Elizabeth dies, and then you have uh, Elizabeth's successor, uh, James I, who actually wants to make peace with Spain. Hmm. Like it's the moment in which the successors of, of, of these two great rivals of the 16th century. These successors are James I and also uh, Philip III. They want to make peace. They want to reach an agreement. They realize that this rivalry, this war, it's it's only it's only affecting their their power, their finances. Like it's 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 not going it's it's going nowhere. Um, so then you have this peace agreement, and 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 part of the peace agreement was that they were not gonna uh, attack each other's territories. And that, and then, actually, James I was deeply criticized because of this, hmm. because there were there were there, there were a lot of people out of work um, because of that uh, policy, this peace policy. So you have a you have a new you have a new king in England in the case of Drake, a new king that wants to restore the image of England hmm. as a new diplomatic uh, entity, and also. Um, you have then this, uh, the glory of the naval power, of the English naval power that was proved in the previous century, but now it, it was, it's, it's a transition from the private navy to the opening of the, of the state-controlled navy. Okay. So you have all these things happening, and then Drake becomes the way of exploiting these new aspects that the English sailor would have as part of this and uh, crown uh, navy like before it was more disorganized uh, during the 16th century there was not such a thing as a, as a state-sponsored navy hmm. and then during the 17th century we have these other projects and also in the case of England they wanted to start to colonize mm-hmm. and they needed to so they needed a figure to actually represent all these projects of colonization in the Americas or in other parts of the world so you have Drake. Drake becomes a gentleman. Drake's become Drake's become a, a smart guy, <laughs> a strategic guy, but a person with sensi- uh, a sensible person. Uh, he becomes um, uh, a merchant. It's his, mm. he, he's le- so the idea of Drake's attacking Cadiz and burning down cities. It's taken out of the picture because mm. they don't want to project that to the rest of the world. They want to colonize. They want to establish plantations. They want to. They, they, they want other things. So then Drake's becomes the vehicle of these new values, mercantile, but also social values of this new uh, revived England. Okay. No, that 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 makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. So we get the earliest English colonies around that time as well. I mean, Jamestown, mm-hmm. sixteen o seven, Plymouth, sixteen twenty. 
So I mean that, that yeah that kind of that that tracks that tracks perfectly. Um, that's that's really fascinating. All right. Um, so I have another question for you, just kind of still still on this theme. Um, so looking over your work, I was really struck with this connection between piracy and these ideas of property, sovereignty, and power. I was wondering if you could speak a little bit on how the image or the idea of the pirate was used to engage with these larger concepts. So I mean, kind of, I, I like this idea of kind of Drake being reimagined, but also kind of mm-hmm. looking at piracy in general. How does it touch on these themes of sovereignty, power, kind of property in general as well? Going back to the to this, uh, because it's again, no, it's piracy and these concepts, but we cannot forget that piracy itself is an unstable discourse. You know, mm-hmm. it's timely and it's flexible. Uh, and I forgot to say before, when in, in your previous question, that one of the most fascinating examples about this interchangeable use between the categories the pirate and the corsair actually comes from Sebastián de Covarrubias, Tesoro de la Lengua Castellana, hmm. uh, from 1611, in which he defines the word pirate with the word corsair. Oh, that's interesting. And so, and then you see how this uh, the swapping of these categories uh, contributed to other processes related to the development of geopolitical narratives and the confirmation of identities. And I, I wonder, I, I wonder if the English would say the same thing. Because I mean, I, I, do we see? I mean, do we see many Spanish corsairs? It seems like there aren't as many in the 16th century. I mean, I, I want to ask questions about Spanish pirates later on. I don't want to jump on that. But I just even in the 16th century, do we see Spanish corsairs? No. Is that not really? That was not really a thing in the 16th mm-hmm. century. By the time period that Drake and, and his sequaces, no, and his people are opera- operating, uh, we we don't have corsairs because we still don't have the first Ordinanza de Corso that mm. is going to be established in the 17th century. Okay. In seven in 1674, Span- Spain is trying to repel piracy by repelling piracy by by using their 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 own fleet, their own naval fleet, but they 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 still they haven't got into that kind of business. The English was different, no? The okay. English they were they they actually if they supported the their sailors to actually commit these uh, attacks, etc. But the Spanish we don't we are not gonna see Spanish corsairs during the sixteenth century in the Caribbean. Okay. If we go to the Mediterranean seas then that's another story. But <laughs> I don't know if we have time for that today. <laughs> probably not, unfortunately, but that's really but, interesting. One last follow up question, and then I, I do really want to let you answer this question about sovereignty. The and larger power. concepts, what you were saying. <laughs> so how is how is the how then how does this pirate relate to larger concepts like 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 mm-hmm. property? Uh, and I and I brought the example of, of, of how Sebastián de Covarrubias defines piracy with the word corsair. So we see that the, the discursive in, is interchangeable, and also these concepts themselves, like sovereignty, property, and power, they are they are also muddy. Their their mm. frontiers or their conceptualization are muddy, and and they emerge from the discursive entanglement among the political, religious, and economic realms that at the same time structure the very notion of piracy. So for instance, in relation to property, we find primary, per, pri- primary sources that when debating if pirates should be entitled or not to own their spoils, hmm. they substantiated the arguments by comparing Spani- Spanish claims of territorial possession in the Americas with other European and English assertions of property. In the broader context of the Anglo-Spanish rivalry that we have been talking about so far, we have Alberico Gentili, who is a very interesting character. He was an appointed lawyer of the Spanish crown uh, in the court of the Admiralty from 1605 to 1608. And he had a famous legal treatise entitled Hispanicae Advocationis, 
and he exemplifies the relationship between piracy and the legal economic and the, and the legal economic discourse around property, because his treatise was about it was a compilation of specific disputes uh, in which he defined piracy in contradictory ways, mm. uh, depending on whether he wanted to legitimize or delegitimize an economic trans- transaction, and part of that was was the an important part of, of the nature of property that was being exchanged was the reputation of its owners hmm. uh, the, and, and our buyers or sellers and obviously if they were pirates or not that would change the na- very nature of the property and even the value of the property hmm. and going back to Drake's image uh, he exemplifies these relations I mean the relationship with property, uh, sovereignty, and power, as these concepts are in- interrelated and, and, and piracy stands at the intersection of this entanglement. Uh, for instance, we will see his image as a pirate or even as a just enemy or a businessman in the context of the Caribbean raid from mm. uh, in 1585. I don't know if we have time to talk a little bit about Sure, Dicker. go for it. So this this is a very interesting raid um, because it, 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 the representation of Drake's figure transpired into many challenges pertaining to the right of ownership uh, over property and also Spanish sovereignty over its colonies. So Drake sailed uh, from England in 1585. He went to a couple of places, but then he crossed the Atlantic and he reached the city of Santo Domingo in Hispaniola in 1586. They seized the city. Uh, it was an embarrassment for Spain because they barely have soldiers to actually defend the territory. And then they ended up collecting a ransom of 25,000 ducats. Oh, wow. And that was not that much, you know, like they actually wanted more. Then they were like, oh, these people, they're, they're broke. <laughs> uh, it was, so they went to they, they, they went to another place, a much uh, richer place uh, in terms of resources, Cartagena de Indias. Hmm. And they got in there and they actually said that to the, to the governor. They said, hey, in Santo Domingo, we just got 25,000 ducats. But here we, we want more because we know you have more. And they stayed there for 53 days, uh, and they torched down a great part of the city. But they started to negotiate with the governor. And that's the interesting part, the negotiations Mm. between the governor, the bishop of Cartagena, and other members of the the higher sphere of the society. Uh, They negotiated with Drake, and Drake ended up collecting a ransom of 110,000 Ducats oh, wow. and uh, and a lot of property like things that he actually took because he liked them, <laughs> and this is interesting because in the narratives letter, uh, when he's depicting Drake as a as a as a pirate, it's 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 when he describes like how cruel and how and and when he describes the English military victory, like they they won because they were cruel, they were more, they were stronger, they were and and and, and in there. He's I'm, a pirate. I'm sorry, whose letter was this? Uh, this is the letter of the governor of Cartagena de Indias, oh, okay. the one who negotiated with oh, him. Okay. He wrote a lot of letters trying to justify the fact that he negotiated with yeah. a pirate. And also the governor of Santo Domingo did the same because okay. Spain was like, hey, why <laughs> yeah. did you negotiate it? Yeah, why didn't you just win a victory? Exactly. What, what's going yeah, on? Yeah, what's going on? And, 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 and then he's like, then the governor of Cartagena is like, no, actually, uh, we negotiated. And, and but, but then, 
So he's a pirate, and he's when he's a cruel man, mm -hmm. when he torches down or, or burns down the city, or when he threatens to keep burning down and killing more people. But then he becomes uh, the, uh, another thing. He becomes he becomes a just enemy. Mm -hmm. He becomes a businessman. He becomes an extra official. Uh, of, this, of the English crown negotiating and conducting business overseas because then the governor says, well, we paid the amount, but actually Drake gave everybody uh, receipts of payment huh. of the ransom and he, and, and, we, we've, uh, and he promised that if we pay the ransom, the ransom, he will not come back. And actually, he promised us that he was going back to England and that he, then he's going to get the stamp, uh, Elizabeth I stamp, uh, to seal the pact that he was not coming back to bother us again. So then you see the oscillation between a pirate, a just enemy, mm -hmm. in terms of uh, they, they were fighting in a war that hadn't, hadn't been declared yet. But, and also you, said, you see the, the businessman, the negotiator. Right, and and this is recorded not only in in historical relaciones, but also we see this in in, in historical poetry at mm -hmm. the time. So, of course, the Spanish were not happy with the governor's narrative. Uh, the governor of Santo Domingo died shortly after. They say that he died of grief because of Drake's <laughs> attack. But you know, uh, it's a poetic thing to say. It's like yeah. It was a grief. It just it broke was, his heart. Exactly. That, that's, that's what they say. <laughs> and in the case of Cartagena de Indias, he and, and, and one of the higher captains that, that was in charge of the whole military defense, they were prosecuted. They were found guilty. And, and at least the governor of Cartagena ended up in Africa. Really? And, yeah. Okay, <laughs> so okay. they were not that successful depicting Drake. <laughs> like the discourse of piracy and its, its mm -hmm. uh, instability was not that successful in this case, like to advance their agenda of mm -hmm. justifying why did they pay a ransom and not to be such an embarrassment. Well, it's just, it's so interesting the way that it's so, I mean, like you say, kind of muddy, kind of slippery, the way mm -hmm. it kind of it could be, kind of a pirate could be this cruel, I mean, this classical definition, enemy of all kind of thing, mm -hmm. sometimes, mm -hmm. and then sometimes we see this other, this kind of, oh, it's, he's a businessman, he's here kind of representing England in this official capacity yeah. as well. Exactly, and also, it's, uh, they, they, they play with that, they, they, obviously, Cartagena, the Indias, and Santo Domingo, they didn't have enough resources, and, and Spain, and Spain was not that efficient in providing them with military uh, resources to actually defend such important ports. Both the city of Santo Domingo and Cartagena de Indias were, were uh, important ports for the transatlantic uh, route of uh, Spanish cargoes. And they, you know, it was, a, it was an embarrassment for the Spanish <laughs> ground. And they tried to, to do what, a, what, 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 what they could, but they were not that successful. And in relation to sovereignty, uh, the relation of the image of the pirate and sovereignty. I would like to talk about this. This same event was recorded not only in writing mm -hmm. from the Spanish side. We see it in poetry, in poetry, in epic poetry. We see it in relaciones, historical accounts, letters. The, le the letters that this governor and other officials sent to to Spain. There was corruption involved, of course. They were even saying that it was not even a, an attack. That actually. It, the, the Spanish uh, did uh, other business with Drake. Like there were so many <laughs> legends about the whole thing, and also 
and there were uh, visual representations of this attack. There were maps hmm. that were developed about this attack. There's an Italian uh, artist uh, that, that, who at the time was resident in London. His name is Battista uh, Bo um, Boasio. And he create, He was an engraver and a cartographer, and he did a couple of maps representing and depicting this raid. Uh, shortly after the raid occurred, actually, they appeared in, in Walter Bigg's uh, narrative of this expedition. Uh, it's a travelogue that was, for, was published shortly after the raid occurred in 1587. Mm. And with that, uh, with that edition and later editions, Boasio's maps also appeared. And here we see the relationship between the image of the pirate with larger concepts as sovereignty because we see the representation of a, what is known as contra-cartography, hmm. which is the depiction of uh, contested regimes or the depiction of contesting uh, official politically established regimes. And in his maps of the raid, uh, he, has a, he has a couple of ones. The, there is one that is very interesting that it's a uh, the old world on the right and the Americas on the left, and then you have a line with with all the 25 sheep, uh, the fleet of Drake, and says the way outward, and then another one that says the way homeward. And then the South America, South America has Spanish flags, but the Caribbean lacks of any imperial flags. And then that's a way of actually uh, ignore Spanish jurisdictional power over this region. Mm -hmm. And so that's a contra-cartographic contra image of the, of, the, of the Caribbean in that sense. I, I love that term. I hadn't heard that before. Contra-cartographies. Contra yeah, that's really yes. cool. What, what type of audience would this have? Would it be like an internal English audience or would they be aiming for a more kind of broader European audience to kind of really kind of pursue these claims? That's a, that's a great question. Actually, I think they were, they were aiming Walter Biggs' narrative to become a bestseller because mm. if, uh, Walter Biggs died in Cartagena, but, but then the, so the, the travelogue was finished by other individuals, but it says his name still. Mm. Um, it was first published in Latin, then it was translated into French, and then it was translated into even German. Like we have uh, mm -hmm. uh, this, but later on. But the the first publication of this uh, of this travelogue was in Latin, which was the English of today, no? Yeah, the, it's, it's the, the universal global, language. The global, yeah. the, the, the global uh, uh, language, and and then we have it in and after we have it in, in Latin, we have it in in English, and then we have it in French, and then we have it in other languages. So I believe, yeah, it was a broader audience, okay. uh, the one intended to actually see this contested narrative or, or contra-cartography that was being presented. And, and also you see the, the depiction of the cities, Santo Domingo, Cartagena de Indias, it's the, port, the city port, well identified. Uh, actually, uh, I, I must say that during the 17th, during the 16th century, from the 1520s in Italy, there was a genre about depicting military conflicts. Hmm. There was a, actually there was a school uh, from 1576, uh, the school known as the School of War. There was the creation of, 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 of maps or paintings that included cartographic representation and military battles. So certainly, Boasio's uh, maps uh, correspond or 
uh, are part of this trend, mm -hmm. and but in a contra-cartographic way, yeah. no? Like it's not a, it's 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 not a good victory, <laughs> like in terms for for the Spanish. Like the Spanish are the ones supposed to be in charge, and they're not. And and then the cities, the way he he gives a lot of detail about the urban grid of Santo Domingo and Cartagena de Indias, but then he puts the, that, that same urban grid, it's burning flames, surrounded by vessels. And so, and then you have that, uh, that relationship of, of piracy and the protection of sovereignty yeah. or- Or the challenge. challenge. Yeah, like that's, a, that's fantastic. It's, it's like a narrative of dissent, only mm -hmm. instead of a narrative, it's the, this image that's kind of serving the same role, kind of this, it's, yeah. it's providing the same challenge to it. Yeah. I, I think that's cool, that's awesome. <laughs> That's it for part one, and we'll be right back with part two.